Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. I'm Richard Roper. Who freaking Ray for Hollywood? The Oscar nominations are out again. Yes. It happens every year, doesn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. We'll talk about what that means for you. But first, let me tell you this about us. The Rowan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing to drive your overall business success. Because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity visit americaneagle.com today to get started boom live tv here we go welcome to the 93rd oscars it has been quite a year and we are still smack dab in the middle of it we are mourning the loss of so many and I have to be honest, if things had gone differently this past week in Minneapolis, I might have traded in my heels for marching boots. Right. Now, I decry the Oscars out of comedy, but I truly do love this event every year. It used to be a rite of passage to spring for me because it was always late, like late March or whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah. isn't this going to be great? Spring's right around the corner. But last year almost killed me yeah. watching that literal train wreck at a train station yeah they didn't know what to do they wanted to have the ceremony we were still i don't know if people remember this there was a pandemic that hit the the, the entire country and the entire globe uh, people might recall that still seems to be happening yeah uh, but at the time you know they weren't going to do the full audience thing or so they, they said let's go to the uh the historic downtown los angeles train station which people have seen in dozens of movies and then they had some people across the pond but not really a red carpet kind of a weird like after before party like on a hotel rooftop yeah where weird. like you know yeah. you'd see like pharrell looking around is anybody for me to who, who else is here oh there's my friends the, the gundersons you know like you know, <laughs> you know was, there were some stars that they didn't know what to do uh, and it was the lowest rated Oscar telecast since they started recording ratings for it. Uh, down like 60% from even the year before. But I want to talk to you about that, role a little bit before we get into the nominations and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Because there's this, you know, this thing, almost this glee, which I don't get, especially from the entertainment press, about how the Oscars are dead, the Oscars are irrelevant, you know. And they always mention Titanic, the year Titanic came out, and they had, you know, this huge viewership. Well, television was very different in the mid and, and late 1990s. Everything got different numbers. And the highest rated Oscar telecast of all time is actually uh, 1970. And they always say, well, it has to be a big commercial uh, you know, film. And like Midnight Cowboy won Best Picture. It was rated X. It was a weird little <laughs> indie film, I mean, which has become iconic, but yeah. hardly you know, mainstream entertainment. But again, I think it goes back a lot to just the fact that there are so many different viewing choices. So even last year, with the lowest ratings of all time, they still were a top 20, you know, program for the entire season. It would have been, it'd be a number one hit on any given evening right. if it played. And that's with a, a huge drop off to like 10 or 11 million viewers. I think they'll be back up to 14 or 15 this year. Yeah, it was just awkward. And that's kind of what we all got from it is we're going to look at these stars. Everybody's going to be like wearing a mask and they're yeah. going to be following whatever protocol that was created for them by the Academy on mm -hmm. top of the rules of California or Los Angeles or whatever it was. Right. And everybody just seemed tight, and it was an uninteresting year in so many ways. Now, 
I think the difference, though, is that now that the Oscars are including things that don't just run in theaters, right? Because you've got Netflix and yeah. other places where people can find these movies. Super limited theatrical window of a week or two sometimes, right. and then it, then it goes out globally to the entire world. So, But more people yeah. have seen these movies than ever Absolutely before. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. So this does give you an opportunity, like the Emmys, which you know does a, a serviceable number in the fall of mm -hmm. every year. People know what those TV shows are. Because you yeah. have a television, you're watching it on television, so you must watch television. That's a great point. Yeah, you know, the, 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 we're going to go through the nominees in a little bit here, and a lot of these films, even you know, five years ago, they were not available on video for at least ninety days, sometimes six months after theatrical release. So people would say, "Wow, I haven't seen any of these nominated pictures." And some of them would get a theatrical re-release right around the Oscars, but not that much. But now it's like, oh. Power of the Dog has 12 nominations. I have that in on Netflix. And that's been in the top 10 on Netflix for months. Uh, and the release pattern there, row was they released... Power of the Dog, by the way, it's, it's this, for people who don't know about it, it got 12 Academy Award nominations. It's set in 1925 Montana, shot in New Zealand. Jane Campion, the filmmaker, who was the first woman to get two Academy Award nominations because she was nominated for Best Director for this. And it's this beautiful, harsh tale about these two brothers who run a ranch and Benedict Cumberbatch plays the older brother who seems to be this like heartless taskmaster, but he's got a very interesting past. And Jesse Plemons, who got a, a Best Supporting Actor nod, who people mm -hmm. remember from Breaking Bad and Friday Night Lights and everything. He plays the younger brother who actually has a heart and soul and meets Kirsten Dunst, who runs the local inn, and she got an Oscar nomination. But it's it's a <laughs> it's a small, yeah. beautiful, you know, kind of elegant, haunting western that made two hundred thirty six thousand dollars in very limited theatrical release, and then two weeks later, I think on December first, right around there, Netflix put it out worldwide, and they always kind of can give you different sorts of numbers. But I guarantee you, it has grossed more than the equivalent of two hundred thirty six thousand dollars in the last couple of months. I mean, I guarantee it's been seen by not millions but tens of millions of people. That's a good thing. Yeah. And now you have something to root for, right? That's the beauty of watching the Oscars. There, how many years have gone by for people who don't necessarily go to the movies. They like to watch them, yeah. you know, on DVD when there used to be DVD or VHS when there was the, VHS. Yeah, the beta. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever it was, and they would wait for that to come out. And often that would happen after the Oscars because there was still this drive to get oh, people yeah. into the theaters. So there would be years when you would have a spate of Oscar-nominated films that nobody had really seen. Yeah. A lot of years, that's the case, and and the you know the great thing is even in this day and age, there is a boost. First of all, it's a career thing for any actor or editor or visual effects person, whatever the case may be. If you're nominated for an Academy Award, it's going to be the lead in your obituary, and if you win one, for right. sure, Oscar no matter what, blah, yeah. blah blah blah. I mean, and it's going to be the way you're going to be introduced to the public for the rest of your career, mm -hmm. and it's a very cool thing. And there are still hundreds upon hundreds of movies and. You know, tens of thousands of efforts out there. So to be in the final five in most categories is five. It really is an honor to just be nominated. It's still a huge deal. It's by far the biggest trophy in show business. Mm -hmm. Bigger than the uh, People's Choice, even, I would I would dare to say. <laughs> well, you always know who's going to win the People's Choice because they're the only ones in the audience. Yeah, and they're in the first row. <laughs> Me? Again? For How I Met Your Dad's Mother? I can't believe it. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's still a big deal, you know, and, yeah. and it's fun. And, you know, listen, we talked about 1970 and 1997, even as recently as, as the 90s, but definitely in the 70s, row, 
you didn't get to see these stars very much. You saw them on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, maybe, or in a movie magazine, but they weren't. You know, there was no social media, and a lot of them were very, very private. You know, they some of them wouldn't even do the talk shows. Right, like, they're major movie stars. You know, it, it'd be more like, oh, they're you know older, Jimmy Stewart and Betty Davis, because they're they were a hoot. Oh, what a hoot they are on these shows, but. You know, guys like Nicholson, he almost deliberately be like, you know, I'll, you can see me at the Lakers games and you'll see me at the Oscars. And then I'm going to go be the badass I am and you're not going to know anything about me. And, right. you know, so there was this huge mystique. Oh, my gosh, we're on the red carpet. We're seeing all these huge stars getting interviewed. You know, in the 70s, you still had the old Vanguard, but then you had the up, young up-and-comers like Pacino and Jimmy Kahn. And, and you got to and, see them interact know, with each yeah, other. Jill and there Klaver. were a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's cool. It's elegant. People dream about it. And and if you hate the Oscars, you hate yourself, I think is basically what it is. If you can't yeah, get yeah. something out of it that is like, oh, I just I, I hate all those Hollywood people, then no watch. Yeah, and you'll get a ton of that. You know, it's interesting because these are the same people who will watch seventy hours of football any given weekend. And they're like, I can't believe you're gonna watch the Oscars. That's just entertainment. So is football. <laughs> And it's amazing. And I'm, I'm, you and I are both huge movie fans and huge sports fans, and yeah. especially over these last two years, it's been a great thing to have these diversions. You know, more than ever. You know, when there's a playoff game, when there's an awards ceremony, and you know, there's going to be the usual stuff. Someone's going to wear something. I hope somebody. You know, it's different now because we don't say who you're wearing anymore. You get canceled for that. But I hope somebody wears but, like. Why, a, why? Why is that? Well, because you're not supposed to, you know, objectify, you know, the subjects by asking who they're wearing, or even though they sometimes do. But I hope somebody wears something ridiculous. I don't care if it's a man or a woman, however you identify. You know, big. You know, what was it Bjorn when she was the duck or the goose or the swan or whatever? <laughs> whatever. The fuck she was or j-lo would wear like half an outfit and then she'd wear it again 20 years later you know let's have a little fun like that and yeah you know somebody who wins for makeup or costume or short subject is gonna go up there and say it's gonna be like greta tunberg you know it's gonna go up there and just go how dare you how dare you celebrate even as they're holding their gold always trophy the documentarian. They're always like, you know as i said in my documentary the death of the number two pencil <laughs> No one ever even asked about the number one pencil. And then they always go, but woohoo, my agent, yeah! But so what? You know, have fun with it. And as you said, Ro, if you don't care, don't watch. Yeah. It's yeah. as simple as that. I do yearn for elegance, and you sometimes get it. Then you sometimes get well, and that's the fun. That is still the fun of Hollywood, and that is still even with all the social media. Let's be honest, a lot of these Instagram accounts or whatever, that's not the Rock's real life. That's his social media life, and you know, I'm sure he's really that nice of a guy, that great of a dad that he has a tea party after he works out at one a.m. for four hours, and then he goes and makes a movie, and then he moves the sun or whatever he does. But it's all it's all glamorized, stylized for our entertainment, and it's harmless, I believe. Uh, most of it. Some of it might actually be in doubt, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> okay, let's get to the Oscar nominations, yes. and we'll start with the best picture, but we'll do that right after I tell you about Portillo's. The greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're going to have anywhere on the planet Earth, right down to the poppy seed bun. You're going to enjoy it so much because it's one of the million great ingredients that Portillo's uses, whether it's the Italian beef or the sausage or the legendary chocolate cake. That's just all the beginning. Mm -hmm. The fries, the salads, the chicken, 
telling you, if you have Portillo's- The burger. It, the burger's great. Yes. And, and you can get beer at the Portillo's, too, if you go nice. into the store. Nice. I'm just going to tell you right now. If you have a Portillo's near you and you've not eaten at a Portillo's before, let's say you live in California, Arizona, or Florida, where it's relatively new, you want to check it out. Take the Row and Roper endorsement here. It's one of the finest experiences you're going to have ever in that kind of a food environment, like fast casual. You know, it's not exactly fast food. You can sit down. It's nicer, but it's super great. Portillo's.com, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Ask your friends in Chicago about it, Portillo's.com. This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. That, of course, is West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's retake of the 1960s classic. Exactly. Got seven nominations, which is pretty powerful. Uh, Power of the Dog, as we mentioned, got 12. There's a, several films that we knew were going to get named a lot in performances today, Row. Now, for Best Picture, they, they keep going back and forth on this. This year, there's 10 nominees. Some years, there's eight, sometimes seven. It used to be five. They did that a few years ago, and I thought it was pretty pretty savvy marketing move, if right. pretty transparent. It's like, oh, now Black Panther will get a nomination. Now some you know bigger films will get nominated. And again... All 10 of these movies get to say they were nominated for Best Picture. And um, it's a pretty darn good list, Row. Uh, Belfast, the Kenneth Branagh film, which is loosely based on his own childhood growing up in Northern Ireland. That's my pick for the best film of the year, my favorite movie of the year. I think it's going to win. Power of the Dog is the other front runner. But, you know, you got here's an interesting one. People might not recognize it. It's a film called Coda. That is what they call a strict family film, the kind of film that never gets Oscar nominations. And it's about uh, a family where the family's hearing impaired, the daughter's hearing impaired, Every and everybody in the film, the parents and the two children are deaf or hearing impaired, including Marley Matlin, mm-hmm. who plays uh, who plays the mother in this film and won the Academy Award for Children of a Lesser God, you know, all those years ago. So to see a film like that get rewarded is pretty, pretty cool. Uh, Drive My Car is another film people are like, wait a minute, that's not like, dude, where's my car? <laughs> or it's, it's not Peter Jackson's outtake. Of the Beatles, you know, baby, you can drive my car. Okay, uh, it's, a ja- it's a Japanese film. It's very long. It's very complicated. It's it's sort of like a driving Mister Daisy plot, but a lot more going on there. It was nominated for best. They now call it. They don't call it foreign film. It's uh, international film, I believe. Rob, uh, they don't talk American in it. Is the point? Yeah, basically. But it but it was nominated in both categories: international feature film and best picture. Uh, as Parasite was a couple of years ago. So that's kind of interesting. That's pretty rare. Uh, and then you've got, you know, a lot of standard kind of, you know, Hollywood blockbuster types, even if not not all of them did huge money. West Side Story, uh, King Richard, which is Will Smith as Richard Williams, the father of uh, Serena and Venus. That got a ton of nominations. Uh, Don't Look Up, which was the controversial Adam McKay movie about the environment and uh, the end of the world. It's interesting because that, as you point out, was controversial and also not universally beloved. No, not at all. Uh, pretty, you know, pretty much panned or mixed reviews. Um, 
The Academy does love Adam McKay and his writing quite a bit, and rightfully so. But Leo didn't get nominated. There were a couple of you know roles there that I think people assumed they would get nominations, and Dune, which you know I have to say we talked about Dune, and this is you know there's been a couple attempts to turn that sprawling novel into a film, and Denis Villeneuve, which is how you say his name because he's French Canadian, sure, okay. uh, Denis Villeneuve, the great director. Uh, he did an amazing job with Dune, Row. He took it and brought it to life, and it's part one. There's going to be a second part. And it got nominated for Best Picture, but he didn't get nominated for Best Director, which is interesting to me because it's completely a director's film. If ever there was a director's film, and it's one of those deals, well, 10 nominees for Best Picture, only five for Best Director. Some of these films directed themselves to Academy Award nominations. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You know but how that but there, was a, there was so many years that it was just a director. As soon as you heard who the director was, you knew that was going to win the best film. Yeah, yeah, and then it went yeah. the other way. For a number of years, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens this year with that. Timothy Chalamet, by the way, was excellent in that film. He's excellent in everything. He's very annoying because he's incredibly good looking and apparently super nice. So stop it. <laughs> and then the Licorice Pizza, yeah, uh, which is the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson who's done Magnolia and Boogie Nights and all these great sprawling films. And this was sort of his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of a combination of nostalgia. And some historical accuracy set in the valley, and it's got that great, you know, interweaving character kind of thing going on. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son making his screen debut in that was terrific. So Licorice Pizza, that that was definitely deserved. Nightmare Alley. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro with Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett, that kind of deep film noir. I liked it a lot. I admired it more than loved it. I think the nom- that's one of those things where it's going to get a bunch of nominations and win nothing. Okay. But it's a good group overall. If you if you sat down and said, all right, I'm going to go through these 10 movies, probably all of which are available one way or another, that's a really good film festival, Ro. That You know, when people say, oh, was it a good year for movies? Was it a bad year for movies? I always say, yes. You know, there's so many of them. I, you know, it's not 1972 or something like that, you know, that'll go down in history. But really solid stuff. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the actors and actresses here, too. Sure. You got Javier Bardem playing... Desi Arnaz as Ricky Ricardo as Desi Arnaz. And being the Ricardos from our friend Aaron Sorkin, uh, I I really admired the film. Every year there are one or two movies that get this big backlash among certain sort of elites, and this is the one that has become fashionable to hate. I'm not sure why. I don't know if people, you know, there was a lot of controversy about Nicole Kidman being cast as Lucille Ball, by the way. Also, an Oscar nomination, and mm-hmm. people saying, "Oh, she doesn't look like her." First of all, oh, she was great. In she it. was amazing in it, and I don't know if people, for some reason, there's an Aaron Sorkin backlash. There's a backlash about anybody who has huge success at some point. You know, it gets right. to a certain point where it's become very fashionable to hate on being the Ricardos, and even on Belfast. I've seen people talk about that, like you know, talk about the clunky filmmaking or the obvious this or that, and I'm just like, you know, if you don't like Belfast, listen, that's your prerogative, but. In a world in which there's shit thrown against the wall all the time in formulaic films, when a guy puts his heart and soul into a film and, and crafts this beautiful kind of hazy dream-like uh, fantasy that's also rooted in the realities of the troubles uh, in that particular area of the late 60s and early 70s, I thought it was beautifully done. That is my way of saying good for Javier Bardem, who does not look like Ricky Ricardo and... and did not do an impersonation, thank God, oh. and was great in it. Yes, right. And I bought it the whole time. Yeah, you I actually the two of them were great right. together. And you got to see something which we always kind of knew was going on there because if you 
are a fan of I Love Lucy, and almost everybody is. I mean, from I mean, there's people that if they were still alive would be 120 years old <laughs> who would have been a fan of I Love Lucy. But there are kids who you know just saw it on television when they were little, and it is it's funny. It's not offensive in some ways, but it's super smart. It, along with the honeymooners, the, they're like the bedrocks of every sitcom that ever came after that. And, and, and everyone will tell you, from Jerry Seinfeld to Norman Lear, whoever the case may be, that everything they've done is because of those shows. That you know right. the, the situations and everything. I don't think. All that being said, Javier Bardem is not going to win. I know. All right, but, but the nomination is great. Yeah, Benedict. Cumberbatch, obviously, we just talked about him. Power of the Dog. Right. Yeah. That's and, good. Andrew Garfield, who, I mean, there's a guy having a career, too. You know, and in and, and Tick, Tick, Boom, which is another one you can get on Netflix, he's playing Jonathan Larson, the late creator of Rent and other, you know, timeless musicals. You know, the fascinating thing about Andrew Garfield is you see interviews and you forget he's British, first of all, because he does some of the best American, Midwest, yeah. Eastern, California, you name it, accents. And he's, it's been really cool because he's, I didn't know that much about him, but just seeing him in interviews and stuff, especially, you know, his Spider-Man was considered the weakest of the three main guys of Tobey Maguire and then Andrew Garfield because he was too old and it was the, the yeah. franchise didn't know what it was doing. And then we had Tom Holland, who's the best, but it's been great. He reclaimed the role in Spider-Man No Way Home with all three of them in it, you know, like and had fun with it. So it was kind of like a chance for someone to go back out of the field with the team. It'd be as if Antonio Brown got another chance. <laughs> Put your jersey and your helmet back on your shoulder pads and get out there and remind people of what made you great. <laughs> okay. And then you have Will Smith. And Denzel Washington, two lions now yeah, yeah, of yeah. the industry, going head-to-head here. Will Smith for King Richard, as you mentioned. And then Denzel Washington, the tragedy of Macbeth. He's doing Shakespeare. And he does an incredible job because he makes it his own. He is the most nominated black actor of all time. He has added to that record. You know, we forget. We think Will Smith won because he's done everything, but he didn't win for Ali. He hasn't won an Academy Award. I think he thought this was going to be the role, but I, I feel like it's Benedict Cumberbatch. We'll do, we'll do a whole show with predictions yeah, yeah. down okay. the road. All know? right. But I will say this. It's a very competitive uh, field in all the major categories, which is fun. Okay, so actress in a leading role. I just have to say that Olivia Coleman is nominated, which means that we can't talk about anybody else. Yeah, she's now she's, she's like the British Meryl Streep, right? That's yeah. mine. That's my trophy. And, and, and then, and, and of course, she and gets with, up and it, oh, it, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I know. I and it's it. like, you're the greatest fucking actor of your generation. <laughs> like, I can't believe I was given a trophy. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, you can. Well, we, all, uh, we always talk about that. That's great acting in itself to be surprised, you know. But it's funny because you, you're now starting to see sort of the same names pop up over and over and yeah, over again on this yeah. list, regardless of the films that they're in. True. Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Penelope Cruz. For parallel mothers, Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. being the Ricardos, you just mentioned that, and Kristen Stewart Spencer. You know, you're right about that. It's interesting too, Ro. When you look at the actor and lead actress, we have Javier Bardem being the Ricardos, uh, Andrew Garfield and Tick Tick Boom, and Will Smith and King Richard all playing real life figures. That's three. And then you go to the leading roles. You get uh, Jessica Chastain, who transformed herself into Tammy Faye Baker. And you know, I love Jessica Chastain. She's a friend. She's Movie star gorgeous, and seeing her as Tammy Faye has ruined it forever for me, <laughs> whatever that is. You know, it's like, oh, my God. Uh, and then... Um, well, congratulations. She should win the Oscar just for that. Just and then for thank that. you. Yeah, and then I would like to be thanked. Yeah. And then, of course, Nicole Kidman's playing Lucille Ball, and Kristen Stewart is playing uh, Princess Diana. So six out of the ten 
lead roles are for biopics of sorts. And I looked it up, and since 2010, a total of 10 Oscars, either Best Actor or Best Actress, have gone to people portraying real-life people, whether it's Daniel Day-Lewis's Lincoln or Renee Zellweger's Judy Garland. Hollywood just loves those, you know, transformation yeah. uh, moves where the actor's like, an almost unrecognizable Will Smith gained 11 pounds for his role <laughs> as King Richard. What a sacrifice to his craft. I like... For the best supporting actor and actress, you always have to have an older yes. actor or actress because this could be their last chance at glory. That's true. Except in Judy Dench's case, which this would be her 66th chance yeah. at glory. But just she appears in a film. She's going to get a nomination. Yeah. Didn't she win Shakespeare in Love for like eight minutes on screen? People were like, she was in that? She was nominated? She won? Uh, yeah, and you do get you know you get that combination uh, where you get some newcomers, uh, relative newcomers like uh, you know even Kirsten Dunst, even though she's been around for twenty years, she's not usually listed in the conversation for Oscar. So that's kind of cool yeah. for her. That's great for and her. And then uh, Angenou Ellis actually plays uh, the mother of Venus and Serena in King Richard, and has a couple of great moments where she kind of reminds him, hey, you know, you weren't doing this alone with these girls, pal. Uh, and then you you know you mentioned Judy Dench and uh, I I really love Jesse Buckley. She's actually in The Lost Daughter playing the younger version of Olivia Coleman. That's always interesting when two actors are playing the same character. Yeah, both get nominated. Yeah, and both get nominated. Uh, but I love the idea of maybe Ariana DeBose winning for West Side Story. Yes, that would be really cool. She's a huge talent. And then uh, for the actor category in a supporting role, you've got uh, Troy Kotzer. Yes, who is the uh, first uh, male deaf actor ever to be nominated. That's for that family drama Coda we talked about. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. And then you've got uh, old guy J.K. Simmons, who's probably not as old as we think he is. No, he's, looking at you know, it's interesting because he's the voice of one of those M&Ms that was in, the, in for controversy. If you listen to those animated M&M commercials, I think he still makes more money for that. And we are farmers, bup, 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 and he does for these roles. Uh, and then um, uh, Kieran Hines, I, I love. I'd love to mention from Belfast, who plays the grandpa. He's he plays Judy Dench's husband. They have this beautiful love story. He's always great. Uh, we mentioned Jesse Plemons, and then Cody Smith McPhee from The Power of the Dog. He plays the young man who Benedict Cumberbatch kind of takes under his wing. But there's nefarious things oh. afoot. And he and this is a kid who is not well known. Who, when you see him, it's just one of those star making performances. Kind of reminds me of when we saw Sam Rockwell first coming up. Where like this guy's going to be a character actor, even when he has a lead role, he's that good. All right, and best animated film. I always love this, and it has just gotten so good over the years mm -hmm. that animation in our lifetimes went from. Remembering what our parents loved, those great films, yeah. whether it was Disney or you know, some of the other manufacturers of, of great animated cinema from yeah. the 1940s and 50s. But then it went through this kind of goofy Don Knotts period, you know, uh, where there was like uh, drop in animation with live action. And then there was this uh, weird, just like Disney went into this as much as I love that company. They they went into a really, really bad period. Yeah. And then came the 1980s, and they crawled out of it, and they never looked back, and everybody had to go chase them. And amazing. And, and you know, people look back at things like The Lion King changing the game forever. And now, the, you know, the genius of Disney 
is that they are taking all those dusty old films and reimagining them, either as live action or yep. with a diverse cast. They've got the material. Why not? Yep. So this really becomes a very big category for me and anybody who's been a parent because they've seen all of these films for sure. Yes. So you've got Encanto, which you think is kind of the odds-on favorite here. Yes. Yeah, I love that film. This is kind of an interesting, I don't want to say controversy, but question that arose on nomination day, Row. Uh, and parents of youngsters who have you know decided that Encanto should play all the time. There's a fun, upbeat, great number called We Don't Talk About Bruno. Mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, the composer of that and a lot of other songs on this soundtrack. Um, and it has become a huge chart topper, like yes. the number one pop record, right? Yep. Which is rare even for something from a musical. And it didn't get nominated. And uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda came out and said, well, we didn't submit it. So you can't get mad at the Academy. You can only uh, submit two songs. And he chose a ballad that he thought would be more kind of oscar quality and he goes we we had to submit our uh, our own selections before the film ever played for any test audiences before it ever was released to the public so he goes i didn't know that we don't talk about bruno was going to become this so if it had been nominated it would have won but it didn't get nominated because they don't talk about bruno when it comes to nominations see now that is a very important story to tell right there because it, it is it's like huge it's one of those things that you knew was, oh, well, this got to win, right? Because it came from a movie. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because you know, you know this because you've, you've won your share of awards through the years. And whether it's, you know, news Emmys or uh, dramatic Emmys or Oscars or Grammys, whatever the case may be, you have to nominate yourself like you're at a school board meeting in 1963. Everybody does. The studios have to decide whether to position this actor in a supporting role or a lead role, if they're going to submit them. For the Emmys, whether it's local or national, you pay a fee, and you have to send in your stuff. And we've seen cases at the primetime network level where somebody didn't get nominated for a, you know an iconic role, and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if it happened with Jason Alexander, but that level, you yeah, know, right. he's like, well, it was my seventh year as George. I never won. I didn't even send in stuff. And if you don't send in stuff, the academies won't say to you, hey, but what about that? You were great in that. It's not their job. You have to send your shit to them. Right. Or you have to have your people. Send yeah. Your well, shit. yeah. I mean, I don't think Nicole Kidman was like, you know, stitching together an audition tape for, but maybe she did. Licking stamps. In character as Lucy. Wah! If I don't get a nomination, wah! I agree that Encanto is one of those generational films. So that Beautiful to look probably at. Does, does win. But Luca was also amazing. I kind of am surprised by uh, Raya and the Last Dragon because I didn't fully get it. You know, and a lot of people actually love the Mitchells versus the Machines, which I was not a huge fan of, but was a, a very popular hit. And we'll have a whole show handicapping this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I predict I'm probably going to get about 11 out of 24 right this year, whatever the number is, because it's like, it's a tough year. But um, I, I sense sometimes now that there might, I don't want to say a backlash against Disney Pixar, but a lot of people love the Mitchells versus the Machines. And as is the case in almost every category this year, Ro, you could make some some great arguments for all of the nominees, which is going to make it really fun when we fill out our ballots. Maybe I'll have the first perfect ballot in terms of zero correct. Well, I do know who's going to win costume design already. I've got it, and I'm surprised this movie didn't get more nominations, but Cruella, which I think is oh, one of yeah. the best films of the year. 
by a million miles, and I don't know yeah. why it didn't get the love it I, I loved it, too, and I, I loved the look of it and the spirit of it and the way it was sort of this origin story. You know, we do talk about, we kind of joke about the snubs or whatever, but you know, a lot of people, myself included, thought Nicolas Cage in a film called Pig should have been nominated for Best Actor. He was incredible. There's a lot of talk about Lady Gaga not getting nominated for House of Gucci. Uh, and the the surprise there, I guess, being that Kristen Stewart got in for her role in Stewart. I, I like that choice, actually. I love Lady Gaga. It was not the greatest performance. And, and the film itself shouldn't have been. It, it got snubbed, if you will. And it's because it's art house camp that never really came together. And I'm glad they didn't reward the flashy, you know, Jared Leto performances and things like that in favor of somebody like a Cody Smith McPhee from The Power of the Dog or... Uh, uh, Troy Katzer for Coda, who, you know, quite frankly, we're talking about actors that may or may not get other nominations down the road, but uh, they they deserved them this year. And Marley Matlin won an Oscar. Yes, she did. For her portrayal. In Children of a Lesser God. Yes, yeah. and, and she as could, you mentioned. And, yeah. and, and that's one of those totally transformative moments in entertainment yep. where you never thought you would see that. Yeah, I mean, at, at the time, you know, it, it's changed a lot for the better, but in 1986, to and that was a big award-winning play, and it got made because as a movie because William Hurt was the teacher, mm-hmm. Marley Matlin was an unknown. But to cast an actual deaf actress uh, in that role, you know, you see a lot of performances even in this day and age of, uh, however we're saying it these days, people playing somebody who has a disability or a, a setback that they don't have, mm-hmm. that a condition they they don't have, and it's tough. And sometimes it's done beautifully. I don't think it can't be done. But as we mentioned with Coda, to see these four deaf and or hearing impaired actors in this really just really well done drama. But you're right. What Marley Matlin did was revolutionary. And uh, we should also mention she was just like the cutest, the hottest, the greatest. And she (laughs) still is. She's got a great sense of humor. She always has. She's a great one to follow on Twitter. Great comedian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she's been great in so many different roles throughout the years. And she's done everything because I think... At a certain point in one's career, you realize, I'm just going to work because I like to work. Yeah. Right? Regardless yeah. if it's television or film or whatever. And there used to be that whole uh, bifurcation where you couldn't do one if you're yeah. doing the other. Yeah. And I, I just, I adore her. I absolutely always have. Yeah. And, you know, we're coming full circle to Seinfeld. She had a memorable guest turn because uh, <laughs> she could read lips from across the room. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. So, wow. What an interesting year it's going to be. And as you pointed out, and I will just... Gild the Lily here and tell you that, yes, we will have a full Oscar prediction show. Oh, for so you sure. can fill out your ballot and figure out how to make your friends jealous because you listen to Richard Roper. I never do well on these, but you always do. I used to do great. The last couple of years, I, 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 you know, I blame it on, on well, COVID. Uh, Biden. I blame it on Biden. No, I did. <laughs> Before that, I blamed it on Trump. Before that, I blamed it on Barack. I just blame whoever's in charge is the reason why I get the Oscar nominations wrong. I don't know why, but it sounds good. All right. The Rowan Rover Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. Studios AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com today. For more information, want to thank our executive producers, Tim Alanius and Renee Nelson, and our long-suffering producer and production director, Demita Menezes. We'll see you next time.